This is Conceptions and Misconceptions in Studying the Gospels with Dr. Dan Gertner. I'm Tyler Sanders, and today we are reading The Purpose of the Parables. Uh, that's a passage we see in Mark 4, uh, 10 through 12, Luke 8, 9 through 10, and Matthew 13, 10 through 11. Uh, before we get right into the text, I was wondering, Dr. Gertner, if you could tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, take a step back. We've been talking about kind of the sayings of Jesus and things Jesus did. We haven't gotten too deep into parables. So I wonder if you could give us a little introduction to how we should even think about parables when we read them in the Gospels. Yeah, and we're, the reason we're looking at this passage is it, it's going to sort of be our answer key to parables. Um because this is really the only place where Jesus explicitly tells us why he teaches in parables, because the disciples come to him and say, why do you teach in parables? And so he gives an answer. And it's unfortunately, it's one of the most confusing passages in the Gospels, because it sounds like he talks in parables because because he doesn't really want anybody to understand them. Um, But just like we've done everywhere else, we're going to try to uh, understand this passage in its context. And that's going to be one of the keys. We're, we're going to walk away from this and understand a few keys to, under, to to interpreting parables. And one of them is going to be just seeing where Jesus is, where he's come from, who he's talking to, who he's talking about, and where the parable is located within the narrative. So just like we saw, for example, in the stilling of the storm, we saw where Jesus came from, where he was going, what happened next, that sort of thing. We're going to see that in in the, in the parables too, because sometimes the parables will function kind of like a commentary on something that's just happened or something that's going to happen. So uh, that's just where what the gospel authors often do with them. Uh, the other thing to remember about parables is they are, they're, they're stories taken from everyday life and they're telling something about the kingdom of God or uh, about their, their teaching tools, but their stories taken from everyday life, but they're not taken from our everyday life. They're taken mm-hmm. from everyday life of other people. Yeah, so sure. They're taken from everyday life of the average un- uneducated Judean or Galilean peasant. And it's, but it takes us a little bit of work to understand how a first century Judean Galilean peasant understands these things. Yeah. What's common sense to them, what's familiar to them, is not so familiar to us. Yeah. You know, I, I've never swept a room looking for a lost coin. Um, you know, I've never trimmed a lamp. I've never um, sowed seeds along rocky soil. I, I just haven't done that kind of thing. That's not my daily life. Yeah. So you and I have a bit of work to do, but they're still simple enough that, that we can make some sense of. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I was an English major in college, and I, so I had a whole class on Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare is written in English, and there are still so many things from the, you know, that we lost over the last couple hundred years of, you know, in jokes, things that he would have been talking about that were concurrent in his time, you know, and, and you know, working to his plays that we just would, we'd miss. So it is helpful to have a little bit of extra help, I think, to, to make those steps, to make the metaphors and the, you know, everything kind of make a little bit more sense, probably in a way that would be very natural to the original listener. Sure. So I think the first one we wanted to look at, or the main one we wanted to look at, is in Mark. Is that right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll look at Mark um, chapter 4, uh, and we're going to start in verses 10 through 12. And we're going to see that 4, 10 through 12 is going to take us all over the place, because 
well, there's some things said here. Well, we'll just let me just go to four ten through twelve, and I'm in the ESV, and we'll see that that uh, Mark is the way Mark has put this whole thing together. He's going to send us all over the place. So four ten, he says, and Mark Mark says, and when he that is Jesus was alone. Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, this is the part that sounds like Jesus is saying, um, the reason I speak in parables is because if I spoke more clearly, people would understand me, and then they'd repent and forgive, and good grief, I don't want that to happen. Right. Um, and, and that's not quite what's happening, but there, there's more to it. Mm. And there are a couple, there are two pieces to this puzzle that, that Mark gives us. One is, did you notice in verse 10, Jesus is alone and there are those around him with the 12. Yeah. How can he be alone with other people? What yeah, on earth is question. Jesus saying? Yeah. yeah, so he's not alone. But yeah. so what's happening is he says uh, he's alone, and those around him with the twelve ask him about parables, and then Jesus says, "To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables." So, so what on earth is he talking about? Mark's going to give us a clue. Mark, up to this point, talks about, um, for lack of a better term, he talks about insiders and outsiders. Hmm. There are, and throughout Mark's gospel, and this, the, who's on which side is going to change? And um, we'll see how that works in just a little bit. But okay. right now, in this passage, the people on the inside are the disciples and those around him. Mm. And it's he's saying to you has been given the seats of the, the kingdom, meaning I'm I'm explaining these things to you. So I'm going to and the purpose of parables is to teach somebody about the kingdom of God. So that's really what mm. they're mostly about. Yeah. So I'm going to give you the faith to understand what the kingdom of God is about. But but you're not the only ones who are hearing this message. There are other people who, too. And those yeah. are the ones that are on the outside. So what Jesus is doing is actually explaining the parable of the sower, which is right beforehand. Hmm. So four, one through nine, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell uh, along the path and the birds came and devoured it. 
Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no uh, depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, uh, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So when he says to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom, he's talking about you who are producing fruit. Mm -hmm. And those who are hearing the same message, they're getting the same seed, but they're not producing fruit. They're right. different kinds of soil. Right. So there, there are, Jesus is, is sowing the same seed of the message. There are different people receiving it in different ways. So there are insiders and outsiders. There are people who are receptive to it, and there are people in different ways that are not. Let's back up a little bit more. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 34. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So at this point, notice the repetition of Mark says she's outside, and then the people report, hey, she's outside. Mm -hmm. There's this repetition. At this point, even Jesus' own family is outside our outsiders yeah now that's going to change but mark sets this up there are insiders and there are outsiders and then even before this there is the uh the scribes come down and say that jesus is casting out demons by beelzebub and mm. so th they're they're outsiders yeah so so when we get back to the purpose of parables Mark has already set up for us that there are people on the inside and there are people on the outside. So, and, and those boundaries might change. People can respond in faith and they can change sides. Yeah. But for people on the inside, that is for people who he describes them as my mother and my brothers uh, and my sisters, to them has been given the secrets of the kingdom. But what about this statement? Because this is this is unique. But for those on the outside, everything is in parable. See, in verse 12, Mark mm. says, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This passage. This is actually a quotation that comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Right. So we got to go back to Isaiah. Mm -hmm. All the way back to Isaiah. 
It's coming. The quote actually comes from Isaiah six verses nine through ten. But let's get a little bit of context. Okay, I'm going to begin at Isaiah six one. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim; each had six wings, and uh, with two he covered his face, and with two. He covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So this is Isaiah's famous call. Yeah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And here we come, we're, we're leading up to our passage. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not perceive. Uh, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So God is telling Isaiah to speak to Israel, and it's it's obviously a, a statement of judgment. Hmm. The tone is one of indignation against Israel's rebellion and unbelief. But the language is more ironic than at least the ESV gives us in verse 9. Hmm. When he says, keep on hearing, mm -hmm. is right, but, but it, really says, it, it really says, but, but do not hear. The sense is that your, your, your ears are working, but usually hearing is synonymous with, with like, hear the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's not just that your, your auditory uh, functions are, uh, are on full capacity. Yeah. It's, it's understanding, acknowledging and doing. Yeah. The idea is that, that, that there's understanding. Yeah. They're seeing their, their eyes are working just fine, but, but their spirits are blind. Yeah. And, so when we come to this part that in verse 10, Isaiah is commanded to make their hearts dull and their spiritual faculties even more incapacitated, this really is a result of judgment because of their condition. Mm. They are in a state of spiritual blindness, of spiritual deafness. And God is pronouncing an act of judgment upon their hearts right. because of a previous condition. Yeah. So when we get back to 
the purpose of parables when Jesus says these parables to those on the outside. I speak to this to those on the outside. What this statement is doing is not prohibiting people from coming to faith. It's pronouncing judgment upon people in the exact same way that Isaiah is doing. For those people, and I think Mark particularly has an eye uh, on uh, the scribes who are accusing him of, mm. of um, you know, this, this charge, what he calls blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven, accusing him of being in league with Beelzebul. Yeah. He's saying that um, I am pronouncing judgment on you. Yeah. By, by speaking in these parables. So really what Jesus is doing in this statement is he is pronouncing judgment. It, he's saying that part of what my parables are doing are an act of judgment on you because your spiritual condition is such that you are incapable of understanding what I'm saying in these parables. Why? Because you don't have the key of the kingdom, which is faith that Jesus is the son of God. Hmm. Now, here's the key with parables, and, and Mark gives it to us by putting the par parable of the sower right beside this purpose of parables. Interpreters use this word encounter mechanism, which is just a fancy word to say that we should think of parables just like that seed in the parable of the sower, meaning it affects different people in different ways. I see. And, and in general, there are three different kinds of people in the Gospels. There are the disciples, and they're the main people that the parables are for. That's hmm. usually what we think of. Well, parables are just to teach the disciples about the kingdom. Of course. Yeah. That's what the main purpose of parables is to teach disciples, people who are already believing in Jesus and following Jesus, something about the kingdom, whether it is what it's like to live in the kingdom, sacrifices that should be made for the kingdom, the kind of ethics that we should exhibit as members of the kingdom, or something like that. That's the primary purpose. But because Jesus teaches to mixed audiences, there are other people who hear it, just like the seed is sown to, on different kinds of soil. Yeah, so just like in the, the parable. Second, exactly. Yeah. So the, there are also the crowds. That's the second kind of group of people. For the crowds, the parable as an encounter mechanism can fall on, um, can sort of draw a line in the sand to sort of say, are you, you, you need to make a decision. You can't ride the fence forever. Hmm. Are you for him or are you against him? And the, the ones that this second statement, this Isaiah 6 statement is targeted towards is the third group of people. And that is unbelievers. Hmm. Um, for unbelievers, it is a statement of judgment. And it's important right. to notice the, the sequence here. The, the statement of judgment does not, the, the parables don't create the hardness of heart in the unbelievers. They condemn the previous condition of hardness of heart. In other words, they don't create the hardness of heart. They condemn the prior condition of the hardness of heart yeah. in unbelievers. They condemn the unbeliever in their unbelief. Yeah, so I that's think what it, I mean it kind by of exposes it a bit, right? It's kind it of does. shining a light on it. Yeah. And so they re and when they respond in indignation, so sometimes Jesus will tell a parable and the, the, the Pharisees will get all mad because they realize it's about them. It, yeah. All it does is it confirms. Yeah. 
um, and it exposes, like you said. But that's why it's important to see parables as encounter mechanisms hmm. because they they um, they land on different people, just like the seed of the soil. They land on different people in different ways. That's why it's so important when we read the parables to see where Jesus is, who he's talking to, hmm. who he's talking about, what has just happened. So he might have just had a uh, shown compassion, healed somebody mm. uh, on the Sabbath. Yeah. And then he's going to talk, tell a parable about, you know, going, going in and rescuing one little ewe lamb or right. something like that. So to illustrate something about it. And then, uh, you know, people might respond to it a certain way. So that's where they sometimes will, will serve as a sort of commentary in a mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting to me. I mean, I feel like we get a lot of, I, I I don't think I've heard that like the way you put that like the encounter mechanism, but just reading this, the sense I was getting is that categories are kind of important. So you know, like we mentioned earlier, you have like inside and outside, and then you kind of mentioned we have like this kind of you know three groups typically we're we're seeing Jesus um, talk to in these encounter mechanisms, and I think like that middle group, the crowd, that's kind of the question, right? Are they going to move to be an insider? Because I would assume they're kind of outsiders at that moment, basically, right? Right. That they can maybe move into being an insider. And, and, and those, yeah. And that's where, I mean, even, even Jesus' family hmm. is, yeah. at this stage, is not, are outsiders. And so yeah. those can move. But um, those, those ones with the explicit statements of unbelief and hostility, prior to coming to Jesus. You know, for example, you know, we've we've looked at passages where somebody will come to Jesus with a question, uh, like a, a, yeah. a scribe or a Pharisee. And and typically in the gospels, when somebody comes to Jesus with a question, it's not to gain information. Yeah. It's not a question. It's not a real question anyhow. Yeah. It, it, there's some hostile intent. Um, and so there's a previous condition of of unbelief. There's no openness there. It's those people where this kind of statement of judgment is 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 landing. Yeah. So it, it then are parables kind of functioning, maybe like in the original context, as a separator in a sense, something that kind of divides so that it makes those categories clearer. Like who is going to actually follow me? It's kind of putting it, it is, to the to test or whatever. To a certain degree, yeah. It, it is sort of, yeah, to a degree, it's going to draw a line in the sand of saying, uh, you know, kind of make a decision. Are you in or are you out? Yeah. But again, the primary purpose is to teach the disciples something about the kingdom. Right. So, but but there's always more more than the disciples who are who are reading this or who are hearing this. It's also important to notice that and to remember that the parables are never just isolated teachings they're always mm. embedded in a narrative yeah so we always have to pay attention to where they are in the narrative yeah um because the, the the gospel authors have always put them into some place so we see that here in uh mark he talks about outsiders he has this quotation from isaiah but if we compare for example with matthew mm -hmm. uh in matthew's account the disciples came to him and said why do you speak in parables and at least in those two, those couple of verses, Jesus never really answers the question. He says, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. Hmm. And Mark is the only one who continues 
with that so that with the with the full quotation about judgment yeah and even luke has a statement part part of the quote but not the full quote about uh seeing and uh not perceiving hearing but not understanding and 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 so forth yeah that's interesting because i think i would have expected matthew to refer back to isaiah because of how often he does you know and and to continue the old testament quotation longer because that's typically what he does yeah you're right yeah it's very interesting so uh and then really we actually get a little bit more past this passage too right i think that's kind of a fascinating bit because we we get this you know our our context we've kind of seen like the historical context around this and then this explain the uh the purpose of the parables is right in the middle of the parable and then jesus follows that up by explaining the parable he explains his own parable which is kind of interesting too i i i think like is that part of this in a way like okay so I, i'm explaining you know your jesus is explaining the the secrets of the kingdom of god you know, and I've given you, you know, I do this through parables so that it's kind of a, a dividing line. But then he follows that up by actually explaining it. He explains it, but he also is explaining it to those because remember, he's still alone yeah. with the 12 and with those around him. Yeah. So, yes, uh, it, it is interesting because I think this is one of the few. It might be the only one that he actually explains to his disciples. I can't remember for sure. But, yeah, we're familiar with this explanation. Right. The sower is the the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. And then he explains what each of the different kinds of soils mm-hmm. um, represent. Yeah, it's a really fascinating passage, I think. Um, but it is helpful. I think it is really helpful to to better understand that that passage in Isaiah. You kind of mentioned earlier it was like ironic, and I I guess that that kind of carries over too to our understanding of this passage in in the New Testament too, right? There's a bit of irony in that pronouncement of, you know, you, you hear, but you don't perceive. Yes. Yeah. I think irony is one of those things that probably you have to be paying attention to or you'll miss it because it's, it's a little bit of a, I don't want to say Jesus is, or imply even that Jesus is lying, but there's this kind of idea. I mentioned earlier, I was like an English major, this idea in fiction writing that, you know, a writer can use lies to tell the truth. You know, they can construct something that may not be totally true or, or real, but they're doing it to, you know, explain something, you know, maybe that's a, a deeper truth or something that's more metaphorically true in a deeper kind of way. But I, I would imagine irony is one of those things that's hard to translate cross-culturally um, and across time like we're doing with the, this biblical passage. But it's something that we can pick up on if we just slow down. Sure. Yeah, and it is it is interesting that, you know the emphasis is that that again that your your anatomical functions are perfectly fine. Yeah. You know your ears are perfectly fine, but 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 you have no faith. And then throughout the Gospels, Jesus is going to people with disabilities, blind and deaf people, whose anatomical functions are not fine, mm. but they do have faith. Right. It is. It's just. It, it's just more the irony that you mentioned. Yeah. And then also in this past in this chapter in Mark, he goes on with more parables. And it, it's another thing about parables that's really important to remember is we can push the details a little too far. Hmm. Meaning there's a difference between a parable and a metaphor. 
Hmm. Meaning the, these are not true stories. Jesus made them up. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay to say that Jesus made up a fictitious story. Yeah. And he really made them up. I mean, they're real fictitious stories and that Jesus really taught them. Yeah. But they're fictitious stories. And, and we need to not press the details. And and by that, I have in mind something like the, you know, the parable of the prodigal son. Hmm. We probably all heard sermons or something like that or preach sermons or done bible studies of what we want to press into what what represents what and yeah uh you know how how far how far can we press the details yeah it's a good question in, yeah. in a story parable and when do you press the details too far hmm. we, we want to get as much out of it as we can yeah but we don't want to you know, it's like squeezing an orange. How, how do we how do we get so much orange juice out of it that we, we stop getting juice and we start to get the, the rind right. and the skin and everything else into our juice and it start tasting, it stops tasting, it start, stops tasting like we just got it from the orange grove in Florida and start, yeah. starts tasting like the, uh, the waxy cardboard box right. that we got at Walmart, you know? Right. So... And that's where I'm really helped by. Uh, there, there's a book I'm going to recommend. I haven't, I haven't mm. mentioned many books. There's a book that I found to be really, really helpful, and that's Craig Blomberg's "Interpreting the Parables." Interpreting the Parables by Craig Blomberg, recently retired from uh, Denver Seminary. Mm. Uh, this is in its second edition. It really is a helpful guide to the parables. And what he argues is there can be as many main points to parables as there are main characters hmm. in a parable. Okay. And I find that to be really helpful because, uh, again, how do you find that balance between I don't want to push the details too far, but I want to get as much out of I can. Yeah. So, again, going back to the prodigal son. There are three main characters. Yeah. There's the father, the older son, and the younger son. Mm -hmm. And so that's helpful because you can see it from the you can see the parable from the father's perspective, from the older son's perspective, and from the younger son's perspective. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you can you could push it too far and say, well, what what do the when when the prodigal son is run away and he's um living with the pigs and he's eating the the pods in the yeah. pig sty and things like that i mean what do the what do the pods represent right. and things like that and right how, how far do you push that mm -hmm. i mean to the point where you you start missing what the author is trying to say to the readers yeah and missing the main point yeah and that's where blomberg i think is really helpful to say this is where i think in terms of understanding what the author is saying in the message of the gospel this is this is a helpful parameter. Yeah. So I, f I find that to be helpful. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a, I think that's a good example because that's that's a that's a parable that you could expect would end with the father and the younger son being re reunited. But it doesn't. You get that extra piece about the older son like that's in there for a reason. And we need to understand right. something about him, too. Yes. And something that presumably the author felt was was relevant for the readers to deal with. Yes. Yeah. Or it wouldn't have been included. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's very helpful. I think that's fantastic. Uh, okay. Is there anything else you want to look at in these passages? Is there any other little nuggets we can we can pick out between them? Uh, unless you had anything further about this passage. 
I, I found what I what I was going to mention earlier that I forgot to mention was, okay. you know, when when his mother and brothers were and were looking for him and they were considered outsiders. I forgot that in um, Mark three twenty one, uh, his family thought he was out of his mind. Is that why they're outsiders, basically? Well, or they just don't. I don't know if that's him. why they're outsiders, but it's it's part of part of how mark mark again he could have let that out yeah but it's how to how part of mark's portrait of where where his immediate family is in this whole what do they think of jesus thing yeah so yeah it's part of the big picture yeah obviously that changes but yeah okay so just to kind of uh tile tile the things together we've been talking about um, and, and correct me if I'm saying it a little bit incorrectly or, or uh, uh, it's not totally accurate. Um, a big idea is parables are, are functioning as a way to teach about the kingdom of God. And they're primarily there to teach like the disciples about the kingdom of God. There's a, an element of parables that's like kind of a call to make a decision. There is kind of this category of, you know, there's an insider, an outsider, the audience, but you can move from an outside group to an inside group. And while they seem similar to like a, a metaphor, really a parable is different. And we need to be cautious about how we interpret one versus the way we may look at like a metaphor and like a piece of fiction or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And and uh, I mean, one thing I'd add is also that parables always have a function in a narrative. Mm. A contextual that, kind of and function. And we mentioned that before, that it's, that it's always... Uh, it, it's not just an isolated teaching that's just dropped in there just for uh, uh, like a bullet point that's unrelated. Yeah. It, it's related to something before or after um, to illustrate a point, to, to illustrate something that just happened, to prepare you for something that's going to happen or something. Yeah. It, it, it has a narrative context. The gospel author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has put a particular parable in the place where it is for some particular reason. So we always have to look at what's before and after the parable. Yeah. And, and just to try to get the, the point of the parable. Oftentimes they're really very simple. And I think mm -hmm. of you know the parable of the mustard seed. And as you said, it's it's not really a metaphor, but it is it, it's a comparison. Mm. The the mustard seed in Mark 4, 30 to 32. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what par what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all seeds. So it's like, um, what is it like an eighth of an inch in diameter, or something right. tiny like that, yeah. or maybe even smaller than that? Yet when it is grown, it grows up and becomes larger than all garden uh, plants, and puts out large branches so that birds of the air. Uh, can make nests in its shade. So what's his point? It starts out tiny and it's going to get bigger. So yeah. uh, he's talking to early Christians and, you know, your church is really small. The Christian movement is really small. Mm. And within the first few centuries, it's the largest religious movement on the planet. Yeah. It started out with one itinerant preacher and a group of 12 misfits. Mm-hmm. But it grew. Right. The point is, it's it's a parable, but there's nothing complicated about yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 meaning is there for sure. Okay. Well, I think this has been a really helpful discussion and and talk. I know I've certainly learned a lot about how to you know approach when I read something in the New Testament. That whenever I'm reading one of you know the parables and the and the gospels, for sure. Good.
I was surprised to learn not long ago that about one-third of what Jesus says in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about one-third of what Jesus says is in parables. Really? Yeah, having some idea of what these things are about and how they work can really take us a long way in uh, addressing you know, what we're trying to deal with in conceptions and misconceptions in the Gospels. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to what we talk about next time. My pleasure. My pleasure.